Welcome to a Heritage Christian Centre podcast. For more information, visit www.heritagecc.com.au. We hope this message blesses your life. Good morning, church. This morning, uh, I want to take us back to Ephesians and look at the armour of God. I've been challenged to re-examine some of these pieces of armour and the the one that I want to look at this morning is the helmet of salvation. Um, So if you've got your Bibles with you or you've got your electronic device, your phone, your iPad, whatever you use to read the Bible with, turn with me to the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, verses 10 to 18. And it says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of the dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armour of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've, had, after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the, all the Lord's people. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word this morning. We just invite you, Holy Spirit, open Open our eyes, open our ears, Father. Oh, Lord, we just thank you for your word, which is true. Your promises are yes and amen. I pray that we would hide these words in our heart and that it would bring transformation in our life. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. So in the, in the first century, the whole Mediterranean world was at peace and it was a peace that was imposed and maintained by the Roman armies. And um, the key to this Roman military achievement was the heavily armoured legionnaires, their infantrymen. And the, the soldiers in these Roman legions were equipped with a standard suit of armour. So um, when Paul describes this armour in Ephesians 6, it was something that the readers of the book of Ephesians would have been very familiar with seeing the the troops all over the place. And Paul draws uh, a parallel with this uh, suit of armour that the soldiers wore. He draws a parallel with our spiritual armour that God has provided for us so that we can stand against demonic enemies that operate in the spiritual realm. In today's day and age, in our culture, um, you could be forgiven for thinking, oh, do we really need this? Is there really that much demonic activity? We may not see uh, physical manifestations like uh, people do in other cultures, but I can assure you that the devil is uh, 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 around and he's at work in our lives 
And if we allow him to, he, he pulls us down with his schemes. He, one of his favourite tricks is to uh, get you to think that he's not around anymore, that he, that he doesn't exist. He loves to cover his tracks. But this morning, I, I want to talk about the, uh, the helmet of salvation because it's going to be something which gives us the key to overcoming one of his biggest strategies. The Bible calls the devil the master of lies or the father of lies. That's one of his titles. And he, he's forever trying to get us to believe his lies. So um, when the, uh, the legionnaires were getting dressed, they'd put on their bulky uh, armour and the, one of the last pieces they'd put on was their helmet. The original helmet was called a coolis and it was basically just a metal skull cap made of iron covered with bronze. A decade or so just before Paul wrote this book of Ephesians, the Roman helmet was given a, a makeover. It was redesigned. They added a piece to cover the back of the neck to protect the soldiers from uh, strokes against their neck. And it also added the hinged pieces on the, uh, on the cheek uh, pieces to protect the face. This new uh, updated helmet was called a galea and it provided complete protection for the head. Just like the galea helmet protected the Roman soldiers' heads, our helmet of salvation that Paul describes protects our spiritual heads, our minds, against any spiritual attacks of the enemy by the devil. By describing it as a, as a helmet of salvation, he's giving us a key and he's saying that if we have a clear understanding of our salvation, that it will be like a helmet that protects our minds against the lies of the enemy. So, but how, how do we do that? In, in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, the Apostle Paul reminds us that we are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. The word translated mind is actually uh, nous, which means perspective. So what Paul is saying in Ephesians is that our salvation provides a perspective that protects us from Satan's lies. So what, what is this perspective that um, is reshaped by our understanding of salvation? And that's what, that's what I want to examine this morning. If, I think if we can grab a hold of this, if we can get a revelation of our salvation experience and what went into it and who was involved and who invested into it, I think it will be a powerful tool in allowing us to repel the lies of the enemy. But before we uh, get into that, uh, I just want to take us back to Psalms, Psalm 139. Verses 13 to 16. It's a, it's a description by the psalmist King David where he describes how God was intimately involved in the creation of life. He's describing how even before he was born, God was involved in his life. In verse 13 it says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, 
when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. One of the lies of the enemy is that we were a mistake. We're just a freak of evolution. Maybe somebody has said that to you, that uh, you were a mistake, that you weren't planned. But I want to tell you this morning, there are no mistakes in God. In God, the truth is, you are God's creation. Each person has been individually chosen by God. He's chosen the egg from the mother and the sperm from the father and he's formed them together in the mother's womb. He's the one who chose the particular characteristics of each person. He chose your height, your eye colour, your looks, your natural gifts and talents. They're just what God intended for you. And you might think that your nose is too large or you wish that your IQ is a few points higher, but never forget that God chose you to be you. And through you, God will reveal something of himself that will never be seen through anybody else because we are all unique. He's made us all in the image of God. He chose you to be you and he shaped you and intends for you to have a fulfilling and meaningful life. Satan hates that. The devil hates the fact that we have this special relationship with God, that he has taken such an infinite interest in each one of us. The Bible says that he numbers the hairs on your head. Not even a sparrow falls to the ground that he doesn't know about it. So how much does he care for each one of us? The devil hates it and his goal is to damage and to destroy us, to keep us from maturing into the person that God intends us to become. His strategy is designed to accomplish a destructive purpose, to block your development by convincing you that you are worthless. Satan intends to convince you that you're flawed, that you're weak, that you're inadequate, that you deserve all the pain that you experience. His strategy is to keep you so far from being wonderfully made that you will never step out and become all that God intends for you to be. Satan uses our own mistakes, our own failures. He uses the sins of others who have uh, been committed against us to corrupt our image of ourselves and to plant these debilitating lies deep within our mind, deep within our, uh, our base thinking. The lies are designed to make us feel weak and helpless, to fill our lives with guilt and misery. And oftentimes we've been thinking them so long, we can't even remember when we first started thinking that way. And because we've been thinking it that long, it feels like it's true. But that doesn't mean that it is true. We've got a bit of a list of some of Satan's lies. If you can put that up, guys, yeah. I'm so stupid. Some of them don't even sound that uh, sinister. They just sound silly. But if we're thinking this stuff all the time, it holds us back from being, reaching our full potential. Others are 
um, more, uh, more sinister. It's always my fault. Oh, I'm so useless. What did I do that for? He plants these little seeds in our minds and allows them to grow and he feeds them with memories that have been tainted from our past mistakes and failures, from things that maybe people have spoken into our life and we replay them over and over on that default play reel in our mind. How much... How different is that from the identity that we have in God, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made? It's the opposite end of the spectrum, isn't it? One challenging uh, situation that I can think of where we were caught in a situation where I really struggled with my thinking and the the thoughts that I was having was uh, a few years ago, we had accrued a substantial personal debt and we'd been trying to pay it down and through one thing led to another. In 2012, we actually had about $50,000 worth of personal debts. And in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, you stupid idiot, how did you let it get this far? (laughs) You know? And I'm sure that there's many people here that can relate to those sorts of thoughts. I had feelings of inadequacies, thoughts of shame and guilt. I didn't want to admit this to anybody. I didn't want anyone from the church to know. I didn't want my parents to know or my family. We, we tried to sort of make our way through as best as we could. But praise God, we ended up getting help through CAP. We made an appointment through CAP and they worked out a plan for us. And I didn't continue to listen to those lies. I didn't continue to listen to those thoughts. I took took, uh, the advice of the people from CAP. They worked out a plan for us and we started to follow that plan and we paid off that debt. Month by month we saw those balances come down and I knew that there was a hope and a future there for us. By 2016, we had cleared that debt altogether. So I just want to encourage you this morning, if you're facing a significant challenge in your life, whether it's a financial challenge, whether it's a health issue, whether it's something that's happened in your past that you just can't let go or forgive, don't listen to those lies. Satan uses wounds inflicted by ourselves and others to embed lies in our minds in an attempt to rob us of the joy of the person that God formed us to be. The truth is we are the focus of God's love. In fact, you are so important to God that each person in the Godhead, each each member of the Trinity was involved in your salvation. Did you know that? This morning we're going to look at that in in Ephesians. The book of Ephesians actually gives you a a detailed breakdown and a commentary on each of the pieces of armour in the armour of God. And the section that relates to the helmet of salvation and the salvation experience is found in chapter 1. In Ephesians 1, Paul writes 
about the role of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit in providing us with our salvation. And when we see the lengths to which God has gone to bring us into his family, one thing becomes clear. Even though the enemy says that you are a nothing, that you are a nobody, that you'll not amount to anything, one thing becomes clear when you read Ephesians 1, you are so significant that the God of the universe involved himself totally in winning you over to be his own. The God who shaped you at your birth and even before your birth, who's been with you every step of the way, every milestone, he's been there to see your first step, he's been there to see you leave school, he's been there when you met your spouse. He's seen everything in your life. He's been with you every step of the way and he has loved you from eternity because you are a child of the king. You are blessed. You are chosen. You are adopted into God's family. You are his forever and ever. Let's have a look at uh, Ephesians 1. In verses 3 to 6, Paul discusses how even before creation, God the Father had you in his thoughts, and his contribution was significant to our salvation. The first verse in verse 3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So right there, there's, there's already a number of things that I want to bring out. The first contribution that God the Father had to our salvation was that he blessed us in the heavenly realms. And remember back in Ephesians 6, verse 12, it points out that the heavenly realms are the place where the enemy and the forces of evil launch their attacks. But because we've been blessed in those realms, we're guarded against any supernatural attacks. So any any plan that the enemy has is nullified by the blessing that God has on our life. The next uh, contribution that God the Father has made to our salvation is that he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Did you know that because of your relationship with Christ, there's not a single spiritual blessing that you do not have access to? Satan's lie is that, oh, there's no use trying. It's never going to improve. Things are never going to change. But God's truth is that you have all the spiritual resources you need to achieve great things. And that's a key, I think, church. One of the, the strategies that the devil uses in these lies is to keep them vague and in the background. If we take time to sit down with a journal and write out these things, sometimes when you read something on paper, it's easier to identify it as a lie or as a falsehood or as an untruth. When you're just thinking about it in your mind, it's pretty vague and wishy-washy and you think, oh, is it true or is it not true? But when you see it in black and white, it's easier to to recognise it for the lie that it is. Once you recognise it as a lie, the next time you think it, you need to counter it with the truth. So if you've taken the time to sit down and write out the lies that you're facing, you can 
study up, you can find the answer. You can find God's truth in it. You don't have to rely on what your mind is telling you. In this situation, the the lie was it's no use trying. But God's truth is that you have all spiritual resources that you need to achieve great things because in Ephesians, it tells us that God the Father has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. You can counter these lies with the scriptures and with the word of God, and it is powerful. It becomes a helmet of salvation. The third way that God the Father contributed to our salvation was that he chose us before the creation of the world. Before the universe was created, God looked ahead and he picked you out to be his chosen one, to be his child. Satan's lawyers are, no one could ever love you. But the truth is, God loved you long before you were even born. And he will continue to love you forever. It is overwhelming how much God loves us. And how much he invested into our salvation. This is only God the Father. We haven't even got to the others yet. The fourth way that God the Father invested into our salvation is he chose us to be holy and blameless in his sight. In verse 4, it says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. So Satan's lie for this one is that you'll never amount to anything. But God's truth is that throughout eternity you will reflect the very holiness of God and that even now you are becoming more and more like your loving creator because he is faithful to complete the work which he began. The fifth way that God the Father contributed to our salvation is that he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ. It tells us that in verse 5. The word predestined means that God marked you out before the foundation of the world and determined to bring you into his family as an adopted son or daughter. Now, adoption in the first century was very special. It meant that every tie to the old family was cut. The adopted son took on the identity of the new family and any debt that was owed to the old family was cancelled and all the resources of the head of the new family became available to the adopted son. So whether you are male or female, did you know that through faith in Jesus you have been adopted into God's own family? Satan's lie is you are nothing, you're a nobody. But God's truth is that you are an adopted son or daughter to the ruler of the universe. What a different perspective that is. Another of Satan's lies is that you're, you're a pitiful failure. But God's truth is that you are royalty, destined to rule with the Saviour. The sixth way in which God the Father contributed to our salvation is found in verse 5 and it says in accordance with his will with his pleasure and his will can you still me am I still there yep have you ever wondered why god the father did all this for us this phrase tells us 
He blessed us. He chose us. He adopted us simply because he wanted to. You see, God the Father loves us. This love is not based on anything that you or I have done, nor is it based on anything that we'll do in the future. And as amazing as it seems, you are vitally important to God just for yourself, for who you are, for the qualities that you bring. So now we move into the, um, the section that deals with God the Son's contribution from verse 6. Verse 6 says, To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. God the Son contributed to our salvation in many ways. And oftentimes when we're thinking of salvation, we might be forgiven for thinking that Jesus did all the heavy lifting because he was the one who actually came to earth and was sacrificed. But in truth, all three members of the Trinity were involved. In this verse, it highlights the words grace, freely given, and in the one he loves. Grace emphasises the fact that Jesus came even though you and I didn't deserve to be saved. Freely given reminds us that there is nothing we could ever do to repay Christ for his sacrifice. And the one he loves is a reminder of how much it cost God to bring you into his family. In verse 7, it says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance to the, with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. So Jesus shed his blood to redeem us. His uh, Redemption is an important theological term. It means to pay the price necessary to free someone from imminent threat or danger. Jesus' own life was the price that he paid to free us for being condemned for our sins. Jesus died on the cross that we might live with him forever. The third way that Jesus contributed to our salvation was that he provided the forgiveness of sins. Because Jesus died in our place, all of our sins, past, present and future, are forgiven. God accepts our trust in Jesus in place of the righteousness that none of us has. The fourth way that Jesus contributed to our salvation was that in verse uh, 8, it talks about how he lavished on us the riches of God's grace. There is no end to God's favour. All the riches of God's grace are being poured out on us now and forever. And this doesn't mean that you'll be given everything that you want in life, but it does mean that everything that you go through in your life, Jesus will be there, working in each situation to bless you and to bless those that you love. He's the friend who sticks closer than a brother. The fifth way in which Jesus contributed to our salvation was, it says, ultimately all things in heaven and earth will be brought together in Christ. All of God's purposes will be fulfilled. You'll understand just where you fit into God's plan and purpose. 
So he gives us a purpose. When that happens, you will be for the praise of his glory. Satan's lie is that your life is meaningless. You don't count. You're a nobody. But the truth is, throughout eternity, you will glorify God. The Westminster Catechism asks, what is the chief's chief end of man? What, what is our purpose? And the answer is to glorify God, to enjoy him forever. You might say that the, the angels create, uh, that were created, they, they glorify God, they worship God. Why does he need us to do that? Well, how much more does it mean to God when he receives the praise and worship of beings who have free will? Angels have to obey, but we have a choice. So when we praise and worship God, it's a sacrifice of praise, and he loves to hear our praise. Did you feel his presence this morning when we lifted up the name of Jesus? He loves it. The last section deals with the Holy Spirit's contribution to our salvation. And... um, In verse 13, it says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. The seal is the Holy Spirit himself who came into our life when we believed. In the first century, a wax seal uh, was... Um, sometimes used to close a document or to be impressed upon a product. And um, maybe, maybe you've, you've seen that on the movies or whatever. They get a, a, uh, some wax and hold it over a candle to make it soft and they drip it on the paper and get their signet ring and press it in there. So it had several purposes. First of all, it denoted security. Second, the seal identified ownership. And third of all, the seal guaranteed genuineness. So in, in our example, the seal of the Holy Spirit, his presence, the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life, he certifies that we are genuine Christians. His presence is proof that we belong to God, that God has ownership of us. His presence assures us that we are safe in God's loving hands. It gives us security. That seal is a mark of security. The second way in which the Holy Spirit contributed to our salvation comes in verse 14. It says, Who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession? So Jesus has redeemed you, paying the price to free you from the penalty of sin. And the Holy Spirit is God's personal guarantee that when Jesus returns, the transaction will be completed and will be freed from the slightest taint of sin. He then says, the the Apostle Paul then says, to the praise of his glory and... uh, This is a phrase that was repeated after the previous descriptions of each of the roles of uh, God uh, 
in our salvation, each member of the Godhead. If you have a look in verse 6, after God the Father, and in verse 12, after God the Son, and in verse 13, it talks about for the book, um, to the praise of his glory. You were chosen, blessed, and adopted as the Father's sons and daughters. You were redeemed, forgiven, granted overflowing grace by God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And you were sealed, and your ultimate salvation guaranteed by the Holy Spirit. Throughout eternity, you will bring praise to the one who has saved you. Paul now turns to God and to pray for the Ephesians and for all Christians. He first asks God to enable us to know him better. And then he asks God to open our eyes to understand the significance of this salvation that is ours. I just want to read it to you because it's such a powerful passage. It says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I've not stopped giving thanks for you and remembered you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may, be, you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in this present age but also in the age to come. God has placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, and the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. That has such a powerful ramifications for us and our identity, church. We're, we're loved by God so much that he invested into us by each member of the Trinity, each member of the Godhead. He then, what's more, God's resurrection power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is now available for you and for me. Not only did God's mighty power raise Jesus from the dead, but it lifted him to a position of total authority over the heavenly realms, far above all rule, authority, power and dominion. So even the most powerful of demonic spirits must submit to Jesus. Let me say it again. In Christ, God's resurrection power is available for you and for me. And it is in this understanding of who we are that represents the helmet of salvation. Paul urges us to put it on. We're to reject all of Satan's lies. If I can ask the singers and musicians to come on back up. 
we don't have to just accept these lies as they come along. We don't have to have a, a Christian walk where it's passive and we just react to everything that comes along the way. We, he's given us everything that we need to be successful, to be overcomers, to be more than conquerors. We don't have to listen to the lies of the enemy or to be cowed into submission or intimidation. We can stand firm on our belief that we are children of the Most High. We have been bought with a price. We were fearfully and wonderfully made and unique in the eyes of God. We need to reject all of Satan's lies, the lies that claim that we are weak and impotent, the lies that claim that we are unloved and unlovable, the lies that claim that your life is meaningless and without purpose, the lies that claim you will never amount to anything. Instead of believing Satan's lies, we're to believe God's truth and the promises of His Word and to live in that truth in faith. We're to put our confidence in the Word of God. His promises are yes and amen. We're to affirm and meditate on our identity as God's dearly loved ones, empowered and enabled by God Himself to triumph in all of life's challenges. No matter what you face, church, He has equipped you to stand. So how do we do that? How do we put on the helmet of salvation? One thing that you can do is read that first chapter of Ephesians. Read it, meditate on it, let it soak into your heart, let it transform your identity and who you are in God. Know how much you are loved. Know how much each one of the members of the Godhead invested into your salvation. He wouldn't have done that for us if we were nobody. He wouldn't have done that for us if we were not valued, if we were not precious. He loves us so much. In your prayer time, regularly remind yourself that you were chosen, that you are blessed, that you've received every spiritual blessing, that you've been adopted as the Father's sons and daughters, you're part of God's family. Remind yourself that you are redeemed, that you're forgiven, that you are granted overflowing grace by Jesus. Remind yourself that you've been sealed and your ultimate salvation is guaranteed by the Holy Spirit in your life. Remind yourself that throughout eternity, you're going to be bringing praise and enjoying the one who has saved you. If I can just recommend a really great resource to your church, there's a book by Pastor Craig Groeschel called Winning the War in Your Mind. It's a powerful book on this subject. And if you read it, it'll be a blessing. It'll give you extra resources and extra things that you can do to overcome in the battle of your mind. The last uh, 
action point that I've got for you is that you can determine in your heart not to accept any more lies about who you are. Ask the Holy Spirit to identify lies that you've been believing because it's not always obvious. Sometimes it's, it's been in there so long it, it feels like part of the furniture and maybe a close friend or your spouse can help you identify things and just identify um, the lies that we sometimes accept without even questioning. Sometimes we need the help of those around us to, um, to overcome these things. The Bible tells us that a, a threefold cord is not easily broken. We need people in our life. We need relationship with people that we trust in the faith to speak into our life. And you need to use wisdom. But that's a way that you can identify lives, lies that you've been believing. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal the truth about who you are, who God says you are, your true identity. And find some memory verses, some Bible memory verses that you can memorise that confirm your, your identity in God. Galatians 4, 7 says, So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Philippians 4, 13 says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Isaiah 58, 11 says, And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in the parched, in the scorched places and make your bones strong and you shall be like a watered garden and a spring of water. His waters never fail. Ephesians 2, verse 10 says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we could walk in Him. Some translations say, for we are His masterpiece. Meditate on scriptures like this. In your prayer time, you'll see a huge difference as you put on the helmet of salvation. Church, I hope this has been a blessing to you and that you've gotten something out of it. We're going to uh, sing a song in a second. We're going to open the altar. If anybody has any prayer requests, if anything that we've said this morning has touched touched your heart and you feel that you, you want, want prayer for it, I'd be happy to, to stand with you and to believe with you for a breakthrough in your life. Or if, you, if you're facing any other challenge in your life that you want us to to pray with you and support you with, we'd be happy to do that too.